here in America, when you go and get a business degree and you can do all kinds of different things with that, like her, you know, her life degree is in beekeeping. What else is she going to do? That's her livelihood. You're listening to Atlas Now Streaming, the podcast where we talk about your favorite movies, television shows, and documentaries on streaming platforms. Atlas Now Streaming is produced by Atlas Med staff with your hosts, Jamie Zerlingo and Nina Granger. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. My name is Jamie. And I'm Nina. So it's officially May. We are uh, I don't know, almost halfway through the year. It How feels, did this happen? <laughs> it feels way longer than that. <laughs> it feels mm-hmm. like a whole year has gone by. It's crazy. Um, when you're quarantined. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's May. Um, that when this episode airs, it will be May 2nd. Um, we have a lot of fun stuff for this month. I'm super excited and we're starting it off with a documentary um, that actually one of my friends recommended to me. It is available on Hulu and it's called Honeyland. So if you're unfamiliar with this documentary, um, it actually is relatively new. It was released in theaters in June of last year and was actually nominated for two, um, and possibly more, but as far as big categories go, uh, two, uh, Academy Awards at the, um, 2020 Oscars just this past year. It was nominated for um, Best International Film and Best Documentary Feature. Um, And it is directed by actually a team. uh, And Nina and I apologize ahead of time. These are um, Turkish names. So we're going to try our best not to butcher them. Um, And I actually don't know what nationality the directors are. Uh, Tamara Kotevska and Limboars Stefanov. I'm just going to go with last names. Those are easier. Katevska and Stefanov. <laughs> um, and it is 87 minutes long. It premiered at Sundance in January of 2019, and it grossed over more than $1 million uh, in theaters, which is amazing. I wonder how much of that like went back to the people in the film, if any. I have a little bit of information on that. It's <laughs> ready. Yes. So uh, I'll get to that. But first, of course, let's uh, let's get into the plot of this documentary. So like I said, it's eight, 87 minutes long, just under an hour and a half. It's a really quick watch. And the style of this documentary is um, a little bit different than probably what uh, you're used to. It's what they call fly on the wall, which means there are no interviews with the subjects at all. Um, it is uh, also what they call it invisible. Um, filmmaking, the uh, subjects are never talked to. It's just kind of their lives and there's really no intervention at all, which I personally really loved. I really liked that we just kind of got to know these people without, you know, kind of not faking anything, but, you know, it was just capturing the moments as they happened. I really, I, as a filmmaker myself I really appreciated that and thought that was really cool I did too and I haven't seen a whole lot of documentaries where they don't do any interviews at all and yet it feels like there's a lot of times that 
it feels kind of like the main character or the main person in the documentary is like sort of talking to the camera, but she's not, she's conversing with other people. Um, I'm curious, I'd be curious to see like what their film crew looked like if it was like a lot of pieces and like very like disruptive in that natural habitat or if it felt like more natural, I guess. So again, I do have some more information on that. Um, the yeah. actual, the, the process of this documentary being made is actually very fascinating, but we'll get to that. So uh, the, the story is on the life, um, again, apologize, uh, Haditsa Muratova. Um, she is um, a Macedonian wild beekeeper, uh, originally of Turkish descent. She lives in the village of Bekerlia, Bekerliha, oh my gosh. Uh, she is one of the last remaining beekeepers in North Macedonia and Europe. She lives with her 85-year-old, partially blind and bedridden mother, Nazifa, uh, who is completely dependent on her. Um, and the way that um, Hadith makes her income is she uh, actually sells the honey from her beekeeping in the country's capital of Skopje, which is four hours away. And um, one of the biggest themes and kind of her mantra is half for you, half for me. So she takes half of the honey from the bees and she leaves half of it for them so they can uh, continue to thrive and grow, mate, and have the energy to um, continue to make more honey. Um, the relationship between um, Hadids and uh, Nasif, I'm just going to say it like that and hope, hope that's right. Um, they share a typical mother-daughter relationship. Um, they kind of bicker back and forth, which is funny. Um, but they also have a very loving relationship. Um, Nazif, she gives her daughter advice and she uh, is very appreciative of her daughter's help. And of course, um, Hatiz, she uh, nurtures her mother, provides for her and is constantly, you know, like, hey, you know, make sure you stretch your legs and keep that cloth on your eye. And she's always taking care of her, always thinking of what's best for her mother. Um, quickly into the documentary, uh, another family moves in, um, not next door because it's just a tiny little village, but they have a trailer. Um, they moved next door to um, Hadith's home. They have seven children and they bring in all of their imported domestic animals, which is mostly cattle. Um, and at first, everyone gets along great. Um, Hadith, she welcomes the new family with open arms. Um, she bonds with the children and she even helps the father of the family, uh, Hussein, with his own beekeeping. He becomes interested, he needs to make money. And um, so she kind of gives him some advice on how to do it. And the way that Hatiz uh, does her beekeeping is actually based on very ancient uh, beekeeping uh, traditions um, that was passed down to her from her grandfather. And it's so cool, the scenes that they show of her, I mean, just taking the honey out of a wall, which is so cool. And it's just so like natural, I guess. And it's, it's beautiful, really, just how she... Uh, she doesn't wear any, you know, protective gear. She, uh, the bees really trust her and she also trusts them, uh, which is, which is honestly a very beautiful relationship. Um, aside from the one between her and her mother, I'd say her relationship with the bees is, is particularly moving. So, um, we quickly learn in the documentary that the family, uh, the Sam family, uh, lives very differently from Hatiz. Uh, they're very rude, they are unruly, and they, to be frank, completely take advantage of the land. 
and the wildlife. They show a lot of scenes where they are cutting the grass and um, there's even a scene where the father's burning a tree um, and he says it's to grow more grass. Um, um, but they, they just live very differently from, um, from Hatiz and her mother. They, um, the children, actually, I thought this scene was, so <laughs> there's a little bit of uh, subtitles in this film. Um, it's not 100% throughout the film, but there are little bits just for, uh, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just for uh, context, they'll, you know, show what the kids are saying and they swear, they talk back to their parents and the parents aren't any better. Like there's a scene where uh, two of the kids are playing and one of the, the girls, she falls down and hurts herself and the mom blames the child and she's like, basically like, oh, wait until we get home. You know, I'm going to beat you and make you feel the way she did. And I like, I was kind of taken aback by that. I was like, oh, oh my God. It was harsh for sure. I was like, they were just playing. Like it was clearly an accident. Like, but um, one thing though about that family is everyone does the work. The kids help with, with the cattle. There's actually a scene where one of the sons helps um, one of the cows uh, give birth. Um, they all help out with um, pretty much everything. And I think even the father says, you know, we need them, you know, talking about like, th that's what the kids are for is to, to help and to work. Um, which I'd say is a little bit differently than the Western world would use children, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Hussein starts his own beekeeping and um, Hatit, she explains to him the importance of leaving some honey behind for the bees. Um, but he gets hooked up with a very, let's say a very greedy customer who wants more and more. And he knows that, uh, um, or Hussein knows that his bees can't provide that. Um, but kind of under the pressure of this customer, he gives him everything. He gives them all the honey, all the honeycomb and leaves nothing for the bees. And this causes them to attack Atitza's bees. And she gets angry with him, of course, and explains, I, I told you not to do this. I told you this was going to happen. And it causes her colony to collapse, actually, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, meanwhile, during all of this, uh, several of the Sam family's cattle die because of lack of food, which I think is partially because of their own doing, because, I mean, they show the scenes of them kind of, you know, I don't know, like pillaging the land, not really pillaging the land, like that's not really the word I'm looking for, but I mean, it, that scene actually made me really sad too, all of the, you know, the baby calves dying and not, you know, being able to survive. And that is kind of why they decide to leave. So the family kind of packs up and leaves right at the start of like the, you know, the winter season where there's not many resources. And uh, Hatichi doesn't, like her colony is basically gone. So she's not really able to provide as much. And then her mother, unfortunately, passes away. And that was really sad too, that scene. It was really sad. I can't imagine as a documentarian, stuff like that. I mean, you obviously can't interfere. You just gotta, you know, capture the moment. Um, but I guess, again, uh, Nina, like you said, she doesn't really talk to the camera at all, but you know, I, I'm sure maybe there was some level of comfort that there was somebody there with her when and that. she wasn't totally alone. Mm -hmm. So, um, sad. yeah. Uh, so they show her kind of, you know, putting her mother to rest and getting through, getting through the winter by herself. She does have some cats and a dog, so she's not a hundred percent alone. Um, 
but uh, they also kind of show towards the end of the documentary, um, slowly building the colony back up, continu just continuing to do what she's been doing this whole time, what she's been doing her entire life. And that's, it's kind of how the documentary ends. Um, a little bit of a sad note, but I guess somewhat hopeful at the end. Kind of uh, like a rebuilding season yeah. for her. She really, I mean, she was born into a family of a long line of beekeepers, so she doesn't have anything else. It's not like here in America when you go and get a business degree and you can do all kinds of different things with that. Like her, you know, her life degree is in beekeeping. What else is she going to do? That's her livelihood. Exactly. And I, I, when I did my research on this, I found this really interesting. In that part of the world, it is tradition for, it's like an unwritten rule, the youngest daughter of a family, it is her job to take care of her parents until they pass away. So there is a scene where she's talking to her mother about, you know, why when matchmakers came, you know, why wasn't I ever matched up? Why didn't I ever, you know, have any potential husbands and she said that it was because of her father and that was that was why was she also mentioned earlier on when she's you know kind of bonding with with the family the Sam family she mentions that she had three other sisters that all passed away um that were buried nearby in the village so she's almost entirely alone at that point with just her mother and she you know lives her whole life wanting a family and never really getting that her own family but she gives all of that love to the bees and again like I said that relationship is beautiful and she even bonds with one of the Sam boys um they kind mm -hmm. of form a little bond which is really sweet I think that her intentions when they when the neighbors first moved in she was excited because she was not going to be alone anymore that she had these kids that she could kind of mentor and she had these other adults that she could converse with um, and then that family kind of, you know, they disregarded her advice about beekeeping and kind of screwed things up for everybody. Yeah. So I think that was like super disappointing for her that that was like a missed opportunity that she could have had like camaraderie and then this other family just kind of dropped the ball for them. Yeah, I agree. That was... That was really sad, just kind of how all that kind of fell apart for her at once. There was, there was a nice scene where they're all like, it's not a campfire, but you know, they're around a fire. She's sharing some, some alcohol with, with the parents and just all kind of bonding together. There's, uh, the kids are playing and she's like, oh, I was rooting for you, like cheering for you. And she hugs one of the boys and she's giving him advice on beekeeping. And, and yeah, she, she was really excited to just have this little community but they, you know, kind of quickly proved to her that they, you know, did not have the same values, I guess, that she did. And um, they right. were willing to do, or at least, um, you know, the father was willing to do anything to, uh, you know, make, make a buck and maybe not, you know, dollar, a euro, make a euro. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's not what it was for her. It was about, you know, being, you know, sustainable and uh you know being one with nature while also using nature as a resource for yourself but the family did not care about that at all mm -hmm. and I don't think that I wouldn't necessarily fault the family how many kids do they have like seven seven 
yeah so really they they had to figure out some means for survival like no matter what or they weren't going to be able to feed all the all the all nine family members um they had to figure out something that was going to make them a buck and i think that they were feeling impatient about that and were worried and i think that that's also a big reason why the the cows died was that they i remember the father said something like you know either you're going to feed yourself or you're going to feed the cows you know what are you going to do so true yeah and it, there's um, some really interesting quotes that I have from one of the directors on that. And his intention was never to, you know, make that family out to be like villains. Um, mm -hmm. He said he didn't want to portray them as symbols of destruction, but merely as the mirror to all of us who make bad decisions based on the need to survive and provide, which, hey, I mean, totally. Now, that is very relevant now. I mean, what we have to do now in these crazy times might not be what we would have done before but uh right you know, it's part of life and um but but yeah so that's but that's Honeyland. um like i said it was uh nominated for best international feature and uh documentary at the academy awards um unfortunately it did lose both of those awards paris uh lost to parasite for best international and american factory for documentary but i thought this was amazing so um, Hatits actually went to the Oscars. I thought that was so cool. She left her That's tiny, amazing. Yeah, she left her tiny little village. I looked it up. I saw a picture of her, the directors, like on the red carpet. Like that's amazing. Like so cool that she got to do that. And it actually wasn't even on um, the Oscar ceremony. She also went to several other film festivals. Um, she went to New York, Switzerland, Sarajevo, and Turkey. Um, and actually. Uh, the film based obviously made, you know, a lot of money. Uh, it enabled um, the directors to buy Hatits a house in another village close to her brother's family. So I don't remember her mentioning having a brother, but she does have a brother. Um, but nevertheless, she still spends the B season in her old village. That's so sweet. I'm looking at pictures of her dressed up for the ceremonies right now, and she looks so great. She's just so, so sweet. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And then that's cool too, that they were able to help her, you know, buy another home. Um, but it is cool that she still goes back to her roots. And, you know, how amazing that those traditions that are probably hundreds of years old, that she still does. I mean, like, again, she was one of the last beekeepers to do it in this way, in this ancient way that I think is so cool. And uh, just was wonderful to watch. Like, I really enjoyed this documentary. It's definitely different than what I would normally watch. Like if I hadn't have been told to watch this documentary, honestly, I probably wouldn't have, but um, I did enjoy it. And um, I have a lot of fun information on the making of this documentary about the crew and about um, some of the themes, because there's obviously a lot of themes in this documentary. But first, let's talk about what else we're watching. So I want to talk about the only other thing that I've been watching, which is a brand new original Netflix show, Never Have I Ever. I think I brought it up in last week's episode. It uh, premiered on Monday, I think. 
I finished it in two days. It's amazing. Wow, really? It's so cute. It's wonderful. It is the story of a girl named Davy. She um, is Indian and um, a little bit of a spoiler alert, but um, her father passes away of a heart attack and um, she's kind of just dealing with that and, you know, high school life and she's, you know, kind of a nerd and, you know, she just wants a boyfriend, you know, typical teen stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, it's, super cute. I loved it. It was so good. And it's a quick watch. It's 10 episodes and they're only like 30 minutes each. I, I didn't realize it was such short episodes. Oh yeah. I, I loved it. It was produced by uh, Mindy Kaling, which of uh, yes, if you're unfamiliar just by her name, she of course um, was a writer and an actress on the office, uh, the Mindy project. And she's been in you know, countless other projects as well, but I love her and, um, it's a great show. So, Hey, if you have, you get it done in a day, honestly, if you have, you know, some, a couple hours to spare, but I started watching it on Tuesday and was done by Wednesday night. I just couldn't, couldn't put it like a book. I couldn't put it down. I guess I couldn't put the remote down. <laughs> it was great. What are you watching? Nina? Love it. Um, um, the show that I just started watching on Apple TV is called Defending Jacob. And it um, interested me because I actually read the book last year and I knew that it was going to become a series, but I didn't know when it was coming out or what like streaming service it was coming out on or anything about it really. Um, but it was just released. They're doing, they did like a release of three episodes at the same time and then they're going to do weekly releases. Um, for a total of eight episodes, but the main character is played by Chris Evans, which I'm so excited about because, man, I can look at him all day. But um, basically, it's just a story about this high school boy. The The very beginning of the show is that this high school boy is murdered, um, and Chris Evans is the main character, and he plays the assistant district, like, district attorney for the city that it happens in this little town and then his son actually is somebody that is accused of potentially murdering the the boy so um the book was super good I'm really excited to see it played out obviously it's going to be a limited series Uh, they're calling it a crime drama web television series so um that's on apple tv i would love to talk about it later when i finish it i just watched the first episode the other day so i have a little bit of catching up to do but it looks like it'll be done airing by the end of may so i will be watching that but that's pretty much all i've been all i've been doing lately i've been watching a whole lot i've actually heard from a few other people um kelly kosky who is one of our um nurse recruiters at atlas she actually had asked me if i had read the book and she was uh, thinking of starting it um and yeah you said that's on apple tv plus right Yes. I am so like, we watched morning show and, Mm -hmm. um, there's still not a whole lot of content on there, but I'm really interested to see, you know, what else they add over time. Did we at all talk about the NBC platform? I think we briefly mentioned it before. I'm anxious to see what all is going to be on that. And if friends isn't on it, I'm done. Um, I, and I know so many people are so annoyed by that. They're like, I'm not going to pay for another service. I'm like, you bet I am. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I need friends in the office available to me at all times. 
I, yeah, I need the office. It is my go-to fall asleep show. And also I just love it so much. And I'm not going to buy all the DVDs. I like, do people even own, like, I'm sure people own DVD players, but like who actively goes out and gets a DVD player anymore or like buys? I don't know. Like I have one DVD player that I had used at my parents' house for a long time. And it literally still has the like little like millennium sticker on it because I bought it in 2000. Oh my and God. It does not work very well. It, it like glitches out all the time, but that's the last DVD player that I bought was 20 years ago. So I actually, um, on my Facebook memories, a couple days ago, it actually said, so, uh, 10 years ago, Hollywood video, which I don't know if that was like a regional rental place, um, was going out of business at the time and oh. they were selling all of their movies. And I posted about it on my Facebook and I was like, going, you know, th them going out of business is the best thing to happen in my movie collection. And actually, this is funny. I went to one of the locations to go buy a bunch of movies and they had already sold them all and were closed. So I never actually mm. got to do that. But I That's did, owe, I actually did owe a late fee that I never paid. <laughs> so Sorry about it. My husband, I found in, in my husband's parents' house some of, do you remember when Netflix had the DVDs that you would rent and then you would send them back? Yep, there's still some Netflix DVDs in his parents' basement. I'm like, I don't know if they want them back or not. I don't know. That was so weird because I remember, yeah, one of my friends, we used to rent uh, Netflix DVDs. That's so weird. And um, I remember hearing uh, like way back when like Blockbuster was still huge that um I think it was actually Netflix wanted to buy them out and they're like, nope. And then they ended up going under. So, well, that was a mistake. Oops. I, I miss that though. Like, I mean, I, I like that the convenience of you want to rent a new movie, you can just, you know, go on your you know TV and do it. But I also just loved going to go rent a movie or, you know, just going with your friends or your parents on a Friday night and getting some DVDs and some candy and, you know, mm -hmm. having a little movie marathon and then, you know, oh, I didn't have a chance to watch it. And then you have to like extend your rental or like suffer the late fees. And uh, it's funny to think about it now. I know it's, it's how it's long you would spend like walking up and down the aisles, looking at all of the movies. It's actually, speaking of The Office, there's a funny episode where Pam talks about how she went to go rent 28 days, and um, she ended up renting 28 days later, oh. um, the, like, zombie movie. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, a terrifying movie. She was like, I didn't realize, you know, the, all the boxes look the same, and I just think that's <laughs> funny, because that's obviously not something that would happen now. But, uh, but yeah, that is, uh, what else we're watching? I just want to say also that this show gave me severe anxiety because I am terrified of bees. That's oh, like yeah. my, one of my biggest fears is bees, which I know it's like irrational. I, I just like can't wrap my brain around not freaking out when I see bees. Um, but watching her around these bees so naturally and it's like she grew up with them, you know, like when she would go to the hive, she'd just stick her hand straight in there, like no gloves. She didn't 
always even wear like a net on her head. It didn't really seem like she got stung at all because she just knew what she was doing. Um, it just cool. seemed so effortless. Yeah, I thought that was really cool too. And I don't think she ever did get stung. They showed a couple of scenes where like some of the kids got stung. Mm -hmm. um, no, I agree. I actually used to be very, very scared of bees as a kid. I think I got stung by one really little and I was just terrified ever since. And I'm still to this day very scared of like wasps because wasps, oh yeah they have an agenda they yeah. are mean. They're terrible they're mean and they just they don't they can sting you as many times as they want like bees bees are more like okay i'm only gonna sting you if you're threatening me but yeah, because they die if they sting yeah, you they're just gonna do their thing and pollinate and help the plants that's mm -hmm. all we want to do bees are so important to our ecosystem i respect bees so much love honey but yes but not I, I i'm not really afraid of them as much anymore but if i hear buzzing it does freak me out oh for sure i lived in an apartment a few years ago and we were taking our trash out to the dumpster and this particular dumpster always had wasps around it and i was going to take the trash to the bin and i heard a wasp my husband said just the image of it he'll never forget is me like throwing the bag and running away because i was so freaked out but yeah wasps awful bees bees are good i don't think wasps even serve a real purpose i think they're just there to be little demons i mean scare me supposedly they also help but I, i'm not buying it I, I don't need their help. I don't need it. <laughs> they can stay away. Exactly. All right. So back to, um, to Honeyland. So I had some interesting information on the making of this documentary. Um, so the directors, um, Katevska and Stefanov, they actually weren't setting out to make a documentary about uh, Hatits. They were actually researching a remote mountainous area of the country for a short nature documentary. And it was actually funded by the government. Um, they noticed beehives behind a rock on the mountain where they were filming, and that led them to um, Hatits, um, and that's kind of where the whole story started. Um, and this is interesting um, from a filmmaking perspective. Um, so uh, when making the movie, they, uh, the city has no electricity, so they had to use all natural light, um, which I think is just so, I'm a big natural light fan, so um, I think that's really cool. It took them three years to film, and they were left with 400 hours of footage to work with. And it took them a year to edit this film. They honestly weren't really sure where to go with it, um, and especially because they didn't understand the language. Yeah. They, they didn't really know what the narrative should be. So they actually, I thought this was really interesting, they put it on mute when they were editing the story. Um, and that's kind of how they got the story that we saw. And um, they wanted to create a story that still made sense visually. You didn't have to necessarily understand what was being said. And I think that that's 100% true. Like I said, like, there's not a whole lot of subtitles. It's not like there's subtitles the entire time. I mean, there are some, um, but yeah, it still makes sense. Like you're still able to figure out what's going on. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of um, like physical, you can just tell by like how, how they're talking to each other, like the tone and, and like how she's moving. You can read her face or her emotions. Like 
you really don't need to understand it to to understand you don't need to understand the language to understand the context of what's happening exactly um and speaking of like the making again the crew was only six people it was two directors um two directors of photography an editor and an audio engineer and um they would shoot for like three or four days at a time and then they would leave to go to the city to like charge their equipment um but they actually camped on site when they were making the film and i just think that that's if you're going to make a documentary you know you got to get it into the thick of it you know like you got to be in the environment i think that they really did that and they did it well and um and again with that natural light i just i think it was just so beautifully shot even in those you know those scenes in uh in the in the home where it was only candlelight especially that scene where um Hatitza, she's mourning her mother who had just passed it's just candlelight and it's just really her face lit and it's uh it's beautiful you know so minimalist and i just i really appreciated that from an artistic perspective mm -hmm. so um let's talk a little bit about um the themes of this film so I think um, some of them are really obvious, um, but uh, the director actually, um, Stefanov actually said the director's three main focus points were climate change, biodiversity loss, um, and exploitation of natu natural resources. Um, the point is to take as much as you need, not to take everything and leave something for tomorrow and those who are providing for you. So that kind of showed again, the you know, the clash between the Sam family and um, Hatitz and her mother, just their different ways of life. Um, Josh Kupecki from the Austin Chronicle remarked that Honeyland successfully depicted how capitalism functions even in the most rural areas. Um, Sheena Scott writing for the Forbes viewed Sam's actions as motivated by profit to the detriment of a more suitable, sustainable way of living. So again, it, it all comes back to what's going on right now with, you know, a lot of people think some of these cities that are opening up um, are doing it too soon just for capitalism to get us to buy things and go out. I understand it's more than that, but uh, it, it, it's true. The things that we do for, you know, capital, buying and selling, buying and selling, sometimes it's not the right way to live. Um, and this, I guess this movie really, really does a good job of that, depicting that. And I think too, um, the relationship between um, her mother, um, Hatitz and her mother is, is a big focus of this. Actually, when they were making the movie, it was only supposed to be about her and her mother. They weren't intending on there being any conflict until the Sam family moved in. So I think that that's really interesting that none of this was planned, obviously. I mean, it's a documentary, but I mean, the how the story changed as you know the situations took place is so fascinating it started out as a nature short film turned into a story about a beekeeper and her mother and then turned into a much deeper story about conservatism and nature and the environments i just i think that that's incredible how they were able to tell that story with so little resources and honestly not even setting out to tell that story i think it's really cool yeah, the the fact that all of that happened while they were there, her mom dies. Like, it's it was just such a good, um, like little glimpse of of a really important and really significant part of somebody's life. 
Absolutely. I thought that just, I loved, and I love that, um, you know, they were able to, to bring Hatiz to all these different film festivals and they were able to help her like that. There's something called like, I don't know what the actual term is, but you know, when people go to other countries to try to help and then they're really just kind of exploiting them. I don't think the filmmakers did that at all with this film. I think they accurately told the story they wanted to tell and they helped out the subject of the film. And even still, like she was set with her principles. Like she didn't, you know, like, oh, now I'm going to, you know, move to the States or I'm going to move to, you know, the big city in, in Turkey and, uh, or Macedonia and, you know, live, you know, lavishly, like she's still stuck to her roots and, but still, I just think that that's awesome that they were able to give back and, you know, buy her another home in a new village and give back. So I think that when a documentary is able to, to spread that message and also do some good at the same time is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it has to be such a rewarding experience for everybody that was involved in, in the filmmaking of this documentary, like to see how, not only to just observe somebody's life that they normally wouldn't have, I mean, I didn't know anything about any like ancient beekeeping traditions prior to seeing the film. Um, so not only for them to like learn about that and make a documentary to educate other people, but also make a difference in in the lives of the people obviously involved in the film and probably made a huge difference for the like for Macedonia and bringing um like bringing attention to that area and I'm not sure what that I don't know if that would ever do anything for tourism for them but at least that there's like a little bit more public knowledge about what their lifestyle is like I just like that it told a different story while still having, you know, an important message at the root of it, but just, you know, we, especially, you know, in Western culture, it's actually funny because we did review Parasite, but um, when Parasite got added to Hulu, actually fairly recently, there was a bunch of, you know, haters online talking about like, oh, like, I don't like watching movies with subtitles. It's distracting and just, you know, kind of shitting all over that. But it's like, open your mind to something just a little bit different. And yeah, it's not in your native language. Like I would rather read subtitles than have anything dubbed because to me, like dialect of other languages is really important in just kind of how that story of that culture is told. Um, mm -hmm. So again, like I said, I probably truthfully wouldn't have watched this on my own, but I'm really glad I did. It's a very important story. Like I'm a big fan of the environment and I'm a big fan of bees I guess the importance of bees and conserving their environments and habitats, not necessarily bees themselves, because they do kind of scare me, but um, you know, it, it's a beautiful story and it was beautifully told. And mm -hmm. I'm really glad we had a chance to talk about it. I am too. It was a very humbling experience as we sit here on our laptops, you know, recording a podcast for the, to go on the internet. When you think about that, there's people in other countries in this world that are, literally practicing like traditions like beekeeping with no electricity like it it's just such a humbling thing to watch and to learn about and to appreciate you know the next time that I have honey I'll think more about how that honey got to me instead of just thinking about 
you know, how, how life in America is. Right. It's just kind of cool. Also, I'm just really, really sad that like the whole time we watched this, this thing, I just kept thinking like, she's the last in her family and now her mom's gone and she's, how old do you think that Hatice is? I don't even know. She, she looked a little weathered. Well, if her mom was in her eighties. Yeah. You know, I thought she was like 50 or 60. So I don't know. It just makes me kind of sad to think that that is going to, that tradition is going to die with her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But you know, at least her story was told and she Mm -hmm. originally was reluctant to participate. Um, but she actually agreed to get involved to, to tell that message of sustainable living. Um, and I actually took a, a sustainability and rural America store, um, a class in college. And so we kind of, le- not necessarily about like beekeeping, but we kind of learned about, you know, living, you, you know, off of the, re- you know, renewable resources and things like that, um, which was a really um, also kind of a humbling class. Um, but I, I really appreciate Hatiz and her uh, um, willingness to be a part of this documentary. Um, again, it was kind of an accident how it was made, but because of her willingness to participate and tell her story and to spread that message, a beautiful film was made. So thank you, Hatiz, for, for uh, doing that for, for all of us. Um, I loved it. It's not something I don't think I would normally like, but I really did love it. Agreed. Well, let's get into our review then. Um, I think, honestly, I'm going to give it a five out of five. It was a beautiful film to watch. Um, and it was just a great story. I could talk about it more, but I feel like I've already said everything. I just five out of five, great film, give it a watch. And like I said, it's short, it's an hour and a half. It's not long. It doesn't feel long. Um, and it, again, it tells a really important message. hundred percent agree. And I am not a person that has a problem with subtitles at all. It really doesn't bother me. Um, but I also did kind of appreciate that they didn't completely subtitle the entire thing so that it was left up to the viewer to make those connections about what they were watching and what must be going on in the minds of the people in the film. So I really, really liked that. Um, I would also give it a five out of five. I really, really enjoyed it. Especially somebody that is terrified of bees. When I first started watching it, I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well for me. But I really, really enjoyed it. You faced your fear for the, for the sake of the podcast. Well, I faced my fear for watching it, not necessarily. I'm not about to go be a beekeeper. Oh, I'm just okay. saying. <laughs> well, guys, that is our review of Honeyland. Like I said, it is available on Hulu. So give it a watch. Let us know what you think. Um, Next weekend's Mother's Day, so we have a very special episode for that. Um, But again, like I said, we have a lot of fun stuff coming out in May. A ton of great shows and movies are coming out this month. So anything that you're watching that you think that we should give a review, please let us know and we'll put it on our list. Um, And again, also um, kind of bringing it back to our healthcare workers, next week is the start of Nurses Week. So happy Nurses Week to all of our uh, travelers out there, Um, and not just ours, to all the nurses, and to all healthcare workers. Thank you so much for what you guys are doing right now. Hopefully, um, this is, you know, a turning point, maybe. I hope so. (laughs) I think we're all hoping that. Um, But again, just thank you so much for what you do every single day. 
uh, we are, you know, we're rooting for you and we're thinking of you and um, I don't know, maybe take a step back and watch this documentary and take your mind off of the craziness of the Western world. I guess this is happening everywhere, but I wonder how many uh, coronavirus cases there are in this tiny little village. Probably not many. Probably not. I'm guessing they probably don't. Well, they, I don't know how far spread out people are normally in Macedonia, you know. Katif is definitely like pretty far away from any human directly. I think it said that she was living like what, 20 miles or something from town? Maybe less than that? She was four hours away from the capital, but I don't oh, know okay. how far away she was from like the next village or something. Yeah, I think it said like the next closest village was like less than 20 miles away or something like that. So, but she's still not like, you know, not going to go run over and grab a cup of sugar from the neighbor real quick. So right. probably not dealing with COVID nearly as bad over there, but no. Gosh. Do something fun for Nurses Week. I hope you guys get to celebrate and relax and um, just some, take some time to feel appreciated. Absolutely. All right, guys, have a great one. We'll see you next time. And as always, keep on streaming. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. Let us know in the comments what you're watching and if we should give it a review. Until next time, keep streaming.